Welcome to the Money Talks. My name is Mike Campbell. We're broadcasting live from the World Outlook Conference, which I'm sure you can hear in the background. Lots of people decided to descend upon me here while I'm broadcasting. By the way, Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club. Solera Club is a royalty-based investment. It's uh, no fees attached, but it's in the tech sector. And for more information, go to soleraclub.com. Not that anyone should be surprised, but if accountability in government, especially financial accountability, is a big issue for you, we'll get ready to be very disappointed by the newly elected liberal government led by Justin Trudeau. Years ago, in investigating government waste, then-Auditor General Denny DeSotel asked, why do these problems seem so intractable? Why do they persist year after year, despite express commitments to set them right? Well, my answer is, that there's a vested interest in protecting the elites and the status quo power structure. The Conservatives tried in the most mild of ways, I think, to increase financial accountability. They did it for the public sector, Native Affairs, and for unions through a private member's bill they supported. And the accompanying backlash goes a long way to explaining their election defeat. I mean, challenging the political power groups was also at the root of the Ontario Conservatives' defeat in the last provincial election, and explains why the... Uh, Ontario Liberals were re-elected despite a litany of scandals and incompetence. You know, power groups that were challenged would rather vote for Satan, I think, than a saint if it meant protecting the privileged turf. Justin Trudeau promised change in the election campaign, but as I said, right from the get-go, there would be no challenge and certainly no change to the status quo political groups. Thanks to Mr. Trudeau, he wasted no time proving me right. I mean, you have to remember that the Conservatives under Mr. Harper were always considered Ottawa outsiders. But that's obviously not the case with Mr. Trudeau and the Liberals. I think it was a bit of a hint when the public sector workers cheered Mr. Trudeau when he arrived on Parliament Hill. And I'll tell you, the cheers and glad-handing weren't because he represented change. The only change is back to the old ways. So say goodbye to the Transparency Act, which forced Native bands to reveal the salaries of band officials. You know, the legislation that shows shone the light rather on some outrageous salaries like Chief James Luke of the Peerless Trout First Nation, population 864, was paid 205000 in salary and 110000 expenses. Wouldn't have known about that without the Transparency Act. Chief Darren Whitford of the Ochis First Nation, population 1270 base salary 164000 plus. Uh, by the way, and another plus, 100000 for travel and personal expenses, for a total compensation of over $265,000. Chief Ron Giesbrick of the uh, Coquitlam First Nations, who received $914,000 in remuneration last year, plus an additional 16000 in expenses. Of course, it's tax-free. So that's the equivalent of, what, $1.6 million before tax? But again, without the Transparency Act, the Native band members themselves would never have known about that. But Mr. Trudeau's canceling it. But that's not all. This week, Treasury Board President, old-time federal liberal Scott Bryson, declared it was a priority to repeal the legislation designed to permit the federal government to curtail public sector sick leave costs. Sick days taken in the public sector have increased 45% since 1995, compared to really a fractional increase in the private sector, same period. The average civil servant takes just over two years a week in sick, uh, two weeks a year rather, in sick leave, two weeks a year. Not quite a week more than the private sector workers who average six and a half days. About two weeks more, by the way, than anyone sitting here listening today, self-employed or pay-for-performance workers are going, what am I talking about, sick days? And finally, union officials are going to be happy with the announcement that the pesky Bill C-377 
which forces unions to disclose expenses over $5,000, salaries over hundred grand. Well, the Liberals are going to do away with that one, too. What I love about that promise, though, of the Liberals to get rid of Bill C-377 is that it flies in the space of actual uh, union support. The union members in a forum uh, research survey, 59% supported that bill, 62% of the public. Only 18% of the public was against that. 28% of union members' surveys are opposed. But don't forget, I mean, forget the public. Forget the union members themselves. No, it's the union elites who like it, so presto, it's done. And why? Because it's 2016, you silly, and a new government's in. And as Roger Daltrey of The Who sang, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. But who cares? It's sunny days. Canada's back, along with its political class. My name is Mike Campbell. Join me Saturday for Money Talks. Oh, I'm on Saturday. Join me in a moment for Michael Levy, top three stories that smart people are talking about. We're broadcasting live from the World Outlook Conference today. You can probably hear the ambient sound. I think that's the way they put it, of people milling around. We have a sold-out crowd here, sold out last night for a terrific uh, group of inter, uh, interviews and speeches, etc., uh, some workshops, all of that going on again today. Uh, Michael Levy joins me on the line right now, though. Top three stories that smart people are talking about. Mark, Le- uh, Mark. You can see it's a little noisy here, Mark. Sorry, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You can call me Morris, okay? <laughs> a Mark and Morris show. Yeah, there we go. So let's have number three. Well, number three, I would not normally bring this story up, Mike. It's just uh, another one you could think of analysts or forecasters who are uh, making forecasts and at one time or another were right in the forecast they made. But this is one we did on the show last February, and it's from uh, a fellow by the name of Mark Yusko, and the headline is, More Bad News from Investor Who Called $30 Oil a Year Ago. And he was on the program, or or I brought his name to the program, Mike, but uh, $30 seemed to be a bit out of range when we were $63 a barrel at that time. Well, that's one of the big questions we're getting right now. And Joseph Schachter's down here to speak today. You know, what is going to happen with the oil market? We've had, I think, a very expected bounce here. What's Mark saying now? Well, Mike, what he's saying now is that uh, there is no chance that we're going to get a spike upwards in oil anytime soon. It's just not going to happen. And his forecast this year, and now I'm going to make a note of it, because it seems to be, again, just a bit off from what, mainstream thinking is but he said a recession is coming as sure as the sun rises so he made that uh, forecast uh, on oil february 215 when it was 63 dollars let's make a note and see what happens this year what's the number two story well number two story to me is absolutely one of the most important stories and it is more bad oh here let me just get that for you mike i'm sorry here we go uh post media ceo paul godfrey on the state of canada's troubled media industry and he says there's no doubt the business models for newspapers magazines and conventional television are all being disrupted post media is sitting with its own unique time bomb of financial constraints well you know Mike, I've got to say just an adjunct to that. I've been amazed at how slow the mainstream media has to, to be reacting to that change in environment you're just alluding to. And, of course, it's, it's resulted in bankruptcies, uh, phenomenal layoffs, and I think it's been a huge challenge for management that they have not met. I mean, the numbers uh, in post-media itself, they're stunning. 
Well, they are. They owe $25.9 million, uh, $25.9 million of long-term debt. That's for this year. And then a stunning, Mike, $302.7 million in 2017. And Godfrey says if they're unable to repay those debts or find a solution to refinance what it owes, the company's almost certain to wind up in bankruptcy. And, and, and Mike, I've got to say, just one step further on this, these notes, some of them, are at eight and a half percent interest, and some are at twelve and a quarter percent interest. And here, to me, is the astounding fact: a lot of their debt is in U.S. Mike, and it's not hedged. So, as the Canadian dollar heads down, they have to make more and more payments. So, I I, I think that their position is absolutely untenable. Absolutely. I mean, as you say, that's a, a great example of why currencies matter. I mean, they, if, they had, if they had a million out in loans in, in U.S. dollars, they've got to pay it back with 1.4 million Canadian now. I mean, that's, that's not doable, as you say. What's the number one story? Uh, just one more thing on the number two, Mike, and I, I think this is really interesting. With a convergence of media without independent reporters out doing the job, I want to tell you that when I researched this story, the Globe and Mail and the National Post played the same Canadian press interview. The articles were absolutely identical, and you very rarely see it, but I think you're going to see it more and more, Mike. Number one story, ocean of fear. Canadian investors sitting on record cash pile risk, billions in lost returns. Well, I, I lo you know what? I'm happy they're in cash right now, personally. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, they, as you say, that, to me, that's potential buying power sitting out there. I mean, there's huge numbers involved. Well, they are. We're sitting on a record $75 billion in excess cash in our portfolios. And CIBC World Market economist Benjamin Tull, boy, a favorite of our program here, and Royce Mendes, suggest if history holds true, Canadians will jump back into the market too late and will miss out on bull markets. And, Mike, uh, that, they, they've just got so much history of Canadians doing that. I'd like to thank them for promoting Money Talks on that because uh, our audience was out right at the top. We got them back in March of 2009. We've been incredibly cautious, saying only high-quality dividend payers should be in your portfolio now. The rest should be in cash. We've been talking raising cash. I'm happy they are. And when we think it's the right time, we'll tell them on Money Talks. A absolutely. And, Mike, they are sitting on the largest hoarding of cash in Canadian history, and uh, Mike, it, 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 you know, one other salient point that Tal brings up is that Canadians are looking at Canada like it's an emerging market country instead of Canada, and he says you can't paint Canada with the emerging market economies and market stock markets. We've got to look at Canada through our own eyes. The other thing I'll just throw in quickly, Mike, at some point the discount to all of our assets, whether it's real estate, but whether it's our quality companies, is going to attract foreign buying. That's going to be discovered, you know, at some point here, probably in the near future, and they're going to go, wait a second, that's not trading at 50. In U.S. dollars, that's trading, excuse me, at something like 35, if you know what I mean. Like, uh, Absolutely, and this is what happened to our housing market. We were talking about yeah. that last week or the week before. We have foreign buyers coming in and spending their euros or U.S. dollars, and Canada's on sale. Absolutely. Mike, great stuff as always. Uh, well, may I call you Mark? Mike, uh, we'll talk to you next week. Have a great day, Mike. We'll take a break. I'll come back. I've got Mark Leibovitz. He's been timer-stived. timer of the year, gold, 
long-term, short-term stocks. He's here at the World Outlook Conference. We'll get an update from him in just a couple of minutes right here on Money Talks. Stay with us. We're broadcasting live from the World Outlook uh, Conference in downtown Vancouver at the Western Bayshore. Uh, we have a sold-out group here last night, sold out again today. Mark Leibovit uh, presented last night. I thought he was as good as he's ever been. This guy never gets old. He just gets good. Mark Leibovit joins me on the line from VRTrader.com. He has been Timer's Digest, Timer of the Year, short-term, long-term, you name it, he's done it. And he's on the line with me now. Mark, uh, let's start with, you know, we look at the kind of market action we had, for example, Friday, up 400 points, basically, in the Dow, as an example. We all know about the beginning of the year. We know about the gyrations in China. I mean, what's an, uh, sort of an average investor to make of this kind of environment? Well, if they can tolerate the volatility, but yeah, they have to understand, uh, as I mentioned in the presentation, I mean, we're dealing with rigged markets worldwide, and uh, the question is how far can governments take it? I mean, when there's a problem, uh, Janet Yellen picks up the phone, and the cohorts, whether it's Mario Draghi in Europe or in Japan, uh, they, they make dramatic moves, as they did this past week. Look at Japan uh, driving the yen lower and putting their interest rates into negative territory. I mean, this is unprecedented. I mean, we're looking at rates worldwide. They're, according to some studies, are at 500-year lows. I mean, it's just incredible what's going on. So uh, I guess investors have to believe that uh, governments, with the rigging of the markets, are going to do whatever they can to support equity prices. And uh, the question is, when will that bubble burst, and how long can they continue to do it? The market was oversold. It was due for a bounce, and uh, you know they they pulled they pulled one just like they did in August. If you remember, Mike, uh, yeah, in the August twenty yeah. fourth low, China comes out, and uh, suddenly the markets take off. But ultimately, the, the forces of gravity prevailed, and reality of a world recession and the economics took hold, and uh, markets came down to new lows uh, in the past week or so. So the question is, will this be the same pattern? Rally for a while, and then the uh, force of gravity and reality takes hold again, and markets plummet to new lows. Of the later in the year. So, uh, you know, answer your question. Investors have to be willing to accept this volatility or definitely be diversified, not have all their money in the equity markets. Uh, let, we only have a couple of minutes here, Mark. Um, is there a market out there? You follow so many different things, whether it's oil, whether it's gold uh, with VR Trader. Uh, is there a market out there that kind of looks interesting to you right now? Well, gold looks interesting to me because it has been moving up here. I don't think it's going to be uh, a dramatic move as we saw back in 2011, but, you know, it's looking a couple $300 higher during the course of the year, you know, silver as well. So I think there's a little bit of uh, a play there. Uh, bonds still look okay to me. Uh, you know, I've been saying this all last year, and I still feel that way. You know, interest rates really aren't going up, so there's going to be some defense in the bonds. The question is, what type of bonds do you buy? There's differing views. Should you buy government bonds? Some people don't like that. They say corporate bonds instead. So there's still going to be a floor under that, I believe. So those are two, you know, quote-unquote safe areas. But, you know, we, we trade the market. There are a lot of opportunities. Sure, of course, yeah. And, we, you know, we see we presented some stocks at the conference uh, last night that we thought, we, you know, would be of interesting. Like one, for example, is a lot of interest in solar stocks. So there might be a play in some big names in that group. So there are going to be opportunities during the course of the year. We're always finding, you know, trading opportunities. And, uh, of course, uh, you know, we also follow, you know, some more arcane uh, situations like the cannabis group and other things that are yeah. providing some opportunity and trading opportunities. But the, I would say the safe, better bonds and, and gold here. And as far as equities, yeah, they're going to swing around. And if we get high enough here, I'm suspecting there's going to be another short sale opportunity in the equity market, uh, the way I'm reading the numbers. Uh, we've got one minute here. U.S. dollar. U.S. dollar is going to... Uh, 
I think overall stays strong. If it takes out that 101 high, you have potential up to 115 in the U.S. dollar next year or two. That's what this little bull flag formation that I presented at the conferences last night. Now, maybe short term we get a little bit of a pullback, but I think the trend says it's still going to be higher. And look what's going on worldwide with the yen collapsing, with the government intervention. We're going to continue to see that. So what's going to end, end result is going to be money flowing into the dollar. And, and again, that's a key to what commodity prices are going to do, um, you know, uh, across the board. I mean, I, I still think if you get the U.S. dollar trend right, you sure get a lot of other things. I mean, obviously, you get what the euro is going to do. Yeah, but, but look also what happened. There's discrepancies, too. Now, you can't always follow uh, yeah. the inverse relationship, one market to another. We saw gold moving up here the last uh, couple, three weeks, uh, $70, $80 an ounce, even in the face of a strong dollar. We saw crude oil bounce this past week, even in the face of a strong dollar. So markets, you have, you have to really evaluate them independently. So I'm not going to not play gold or crude oil yes. on a trade if, if the dollar is up. You have to look at them individually. Uh, when you look forward, to, uh, again, biggest mistake you're worried that people may make in this coming year or biggest surprise that's going to grab them and hurt them? I think it's a geopolitical uh, risk. You know, everybody's worrying about what corporate earnings are, but as I presented last night, any number of events uh, from, from, my, from Iran to what could happen in, uh, it, in uh, the U.K., what could happen in Germany, what could happen in North Korea. I mean, there's all these uh, geopolitical events, so the surprises are going to come uh, worldwide, and we just necessarily, don't necessarily have to look only at economic factors. So a lot could happen. It's going to be a volatile year. The Chinese say this is the year of the fire monkey, a lot of uh, volatility, Mike. That people have been calling me that myself. <laughs> okay. Mark, as always, it's such a pleasure to have you here at the World Outlook Conference. Also, a terrific presentation. Thanks for finding time for us. Anytime, Mike. Thank you for having me. Mark Leibovit, VRTrader.com. So much good stuff. Uh, of course, I love his Vice newsletter, uh, which covers just a whole range of uh, activities, uh, whether it's gambling, whether it's the new cannabis industry. I love his work on the infrastructure. Uh, good stuff from Mark Leibovit. Look, I'm down at the World Outlook Conference, and if you haven't been able to make it, remember, you can still go to moneytalks.net and get uh, the video from the whole conference in HD is going to be available on Monday. So uh, there you go. Got to take a break. I'll be back from the World Outlook Conference.